In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. In the season of Epiphany, this church celebrates just that, the Epiphany of Christ to the world. We focus on the manifestation and revelation of God to mankind. And these themes are precisely what come to the forefront in these first few chapters of the Gospel according to St. Luke. At this point, angels, shepherds, Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, and Anna have all presented testimony of the revelation of God to man in Jesus. And in this final section of Luke chapter 2, what is known as the infancy narrative, there's a climax in these testimonies. As in this story, after we've seen all of these other testimonies, it is now Jesus himself who manifests something of his true nature to us. So Luke begins this pericope or section by demonstrating the faithfulness and piety of Jesus' family as they went every year according to custom from Galilee to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. It's significant, by the way, kind of as an aside, that all of this happens when Jesus is 12, as 12 was considered to be the age of discernment in Judaism, and 13 is when a boy became a man and thus was responsible for keeping the law. It's shocking to our ears then to hear what happens next, especially to the ears of parents, to read that after Mary and Joseph realized that they didn't know where their 12-year-old son was for an entire, well, I'm sorry, once they realized that they didn't know where their 12-year-old son was, they waited an entire day before they went to look for him. The cultural difference. The cultural differences here are quite shocking. They simply just assumed that he was with the larger group, and that was a safe place to be. But at a certain point, they began to be worried, and, and they searched for him. They go back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they find him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, presumably smoking a pipe and enjoying fine scotch, discussing the, the philosophical and theological significance of the law and of life. His parents are astonished. They're probably full, I imagine, of a combination of shock, of relief, and I would bet guilt. And Mary says to Jesus, he said, she says, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Your dad and I have been looking all over for you. To which Jesus responds and says, essentially, Chill out, Mom. Why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I have to be in my father's house, attending to my father's affairs? You should know better, Mom. Naturally, well, Luke says that they didn't understand this response, and then Luke proceeds to tell us that Mary, nonetheless, treasured all of these things in her heart. And they returned to Nazareth, and Jesus was obedient to his parents, and increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It seems to me that the first primary focal point in this story comes literally right in the center of the story. If you were to take the number of words in this section and cut it in half, what we might call the mathematical center, you'll find the phrase, among the teachers. And I think this is intentional and important because what's being emphasized here in this story is Jesus' wisdom. Not only is Jesus there present with the teachers as a 12-year-old boy preparing for manhood, but he's participating. And all who heard him were amazed 
at his understanding and his answers. There existed a genre of literature within Judaism known as the wisdom literature. This was because in Jewish religious thought, the idea of God and wisdom were very intricately linked. In Proverbs, as well as many other places, God is actually personified as wisdom. The idea being, when you draw closer to wisdom, you draw closer to God. Wisdom then came to be seen as perhaps the primary way in which God communicated something of himself to his creation. So it's this strain of religious thought, this genre of literature within Judaism, that kind of primes the New Testament, if you will, for people like the Gospel writers and for St. Paul to conceptualize Jesus as the wisdom of God, the Word incarnate, the ultimate revelation and communication of God to man. St. Paul tells us in his first epistle to the Corinthians that Christ is the very wisdom of God, who became to us wisdom. And this is why Jesus' teaching is so important. The wisdom of God is how we approximate ourselves to God. This is why when God gives us his law, when he shares his wisdom, when he teaches us, it's an act of compassion and an act of mercy. It's not a piling on of burdensome rules. I'm reminded of, of Mark, or in Mark chapter 6, Jesus looks out on the crowd and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. So he's moved with compassion and he begins to teach them. It's a simple idea and it's a simple question. You might even consider it trite. But how much better would the world be if we simply listened to Jesus, if we took heed of his wisdom. I believe that at the heart of our disregard for God and his teaching and his wisdom is a lie. That the following of God's law and commandments will not fulfill us the way that the alternative would. So we spend our lives then aimlessly resisting and pushing away the life of God in us. We push away Jesus, we push away wisdom, and we choose to listen instead to the fires of concupiscence in our soul. We listen to the flesh, to the devil, and to the world. May we never cease to pray for the grace to follow after Christ, to take heed of his teachings and wisdom, the one who became for us wisdom. I think that then the two, let's say, remaining focal points of this story revolve around responses. First, the response of Jesus to his mother and then Mary's response after that. Keep in mind, firstly, that what we witness in Jesus' response are actually the very first words that he speaks in Luke's gospel. His mother asks him, son, why have you troubled us? Your father and I have been searching for you. She calls him child, and then she refers to his father, meaning Joseph. And Jesus responds by proclaiming that it is actually the God of the temple who is his father. This is an epiphany. Jesus is the one, even at 12 years old, who shares this unique relationship with the God of the universe, which no one else shares. In responding this way, Jesus not only reveals something of his true nature to us, 
But he also states that his primary allegiance is given to the God of the temple and his family and his business and affairs over and against that of Jesus' earthly family. Jesus must follow. It is necessary for him to follow the purpose and will of God, even if that creates conflict with his earthly parents. And this theme really, once you look for it, is found all over the New Testament, that God in Christ has been made manifest to both Jew and Gentile and is creating a new family. Your loyalty now must be given to this family over and against your earthly family. Jesus, we see, he understands this. He understands God's will for his life, and he chooses to be obedient to it, come whatever may. Jesus is going to be in his father's house, attending to his father's affairs. We too have been given a call. We have been given a vocation as God's people. The question for us is, will we respond in kind? Will we, in obedience, follow the will of God that is laid out before us, no matter what the consequences? And this is precisely what is seen and what we witness in the life of Mary. In the second half of verse 51, Luke writes this very short phrase that Mary, you could translate it, treasured up these things in her heart. Now Mary is obviously a very, very important character in God's plan for the redemption of the world. She bore the Savior of the world in her womb. And Luke, in these first few chapters, intentionally shares with us time and time again, actually three times, Mary's response to the work of God. The first is when Gabriel announced unto her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus God's divine will, his divine mandate was revealed to her. And even though this will create conflict for her socially, scandalizing her, bringing shame upon her and her family, she nonetheless responds, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I am your servant, may your will be done in me. Then after her visit with Elizabeth, she breaks out with this great song of praise, what is known as the Magnificat, which we pray every day in evening prayer. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name." And then finally, here in our gospel reading this morning, we see that Mary treasures up the work of her son in her heart. She sets aside her initial thoughts and her hasty conclusions about the situation, and she proceeds with openness, and she proceeds with joy. Open and willing to see and experience the plan of God that is laid out before her and her son. From the beginning to the end, Mary will demonstrate this amazing faith as she will have to let her son be brutally and shamefully put to death in order that the world might experience redemption. 
And this is why the church has always held up Mary and her faith as a model for the faith of the church. She emulates her son, who understands that God has placed a call on his life and in obedience submits to his will. Now we are all called to do the same. And this is what we learned from this passage this morning, that Jesus has a unique relationship with God and God has a special plan, a vocation for Jesus. And that's why it's necessary for him to be in his father's house, attending to his father's affairs. And then because of Mary's faith and openness to the will of God, redemption will come into the world. The wisdom of God has been made flesh for us. And we in our baptism are made partakers of Jesus' glorified and redeemed humanity. You might ask what this means. It means that we have a constant access to an endless supply of grace. There is always enough grace for us to be able to face whatever comes our way in following after Christ. May we never choke the work of the Spirit in our lives. May we never shut ourselves up to this grace. May we never resist the work of God. May we always respond like Jesus and his blessed mother, being open always and obedient always to the vocation that God has placed on each one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.